You know, when I was in college, uh, a couple of friends of mine decided that they were going to experiment with TM. You know what that is? Transcendental Meditation. And to them, it seemed like, you know, a, a very non-religious thing, a, a non-religious way to uh, gain greater peace of mind. Uh, and so they attended a couple of introductory lectures, and then they decided to sign up and go through the initiation. What they didn't expect, though, was that the initiation would feel and would be so religious, kind of like they were joining a faith. Each one entered the room when it was their turn, and in the room there was this altar to the Guru Dev, who was the founder of, of TM. And on the altar there were lit uh, candle and, and, a, uh, and incense. And each initiate had to bring an offering. They had to bring um, fruit and, and flowers, and it was put in a basket, and they very solemnly then had to to place it on the altar. And then a ritual followed between the, the leader and the initiate. And, and afterwards, my friends talked to me about it because they were going like, ooh, we felt a little nervous about this. You know, like maybe this was more religious than we thought it was going to be. And maybe are we offending God in any way by doing this? And, and whether they believed in it or not. Well, I share that story because I think it has some parallels to the situation in the first century in Corinth among the Christ followers uh, and that they were going through, most of them previously worshipped the Greek gods. You know, the whole pantheon of Greek gods, and they probably uh, had special devotion to one or two of them. And, and then ever occasionally the community would all come together for a big meal and festival uh, celebrating and worshipping these gods. Well, these festivals were a lot of fun. I mean, this was kind of the big party, uh, you know, for the season. And, uh, you know, your friends and all your neighbors were there, and there was uh, things going on. And it was, it was also a culture in which meat was not regularly eaten. But coming to these festivals was an opportunity to add meat into your meal. Well, some of these Jesus followers in Corinth decided, hey, you know, we, we've learned about the gospel. We know that there's only one God and uh, that all these other gods, these idols, they're not really anything. And so what's the harm, you know, in going to these festivals with the community? You know, that sounds great. But there were other Jesus followers, uh, especially the ones who had come out of the Jewish faith, that said, you can't do that. I mean, this is idolatry. If you, if you go to this festival, if, you, if you're a part of that ceremony and meal and this celebration, you are turning your back on God. So they decide to write a letter to the Apostle Paul. He's the one that first told them about, about Jesus and the good news. And so they ask him, what should we do? And so that is one of the things that Paul addresses when he writes to them in this letter that we looked at uh, just a small portion of a little bit ago. Now, in this case, Paul supports the conservative side. He says, well, obviously these idols are not real gods, but to, to eat meat you know, to, and go to this festival that's, that's all a part of honoring these gods 
He said, that's an act of idolatry. And by doing so, you may even find yourself opening to the demonic. So, would you uh, open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to start with verse 14. And the Pew Bible is on page 1149. And, I, and as I always like to say, if you, if you don't have a Bible of, of your own to read at home, let us help you with that today. Uh, uh, we have Bibles out at the Connection Center, which is right next to the elevator. You'll see a little display of them on the rack. Just reach and take one. You don't have to ask. You don't have to sign. Just take it. It's yours. And you might be wondering, well, this, the Bible's a big book. Where would I start reading? Well, I would suggest going to the beginning of the New Testament where you find the four biographies about Jesus, and they're named according to their authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Pick one of those and, and just read about Jesus. It'd be a great place to start. Now, Paul spends three entire chapters talking about this question of whether or not Christians are allowed to go to these idol festivals. So he's got a lot to say about it. Uh, and if you're with me in verse 14, please follow along. Therefore, my dear friends, and say the next three words with me, flee from idolatry. He said, this is really important. I don't want you to miss this. Let's say it again. Flee from idolatry. He said, folks, don't compromise on this. These are the idols you used to worship. And if you, if you go to this festival and you participate in the ceremony and you eat this meal that's a part of it, you are saying that you belong to these gods. He's saying, remember who you are now. You are Jesus' people. You've been delivered from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's Son. And just as these cultic meals identified you with those idols, he says, holy communion identifies you with Christ. Let's look at verse 16. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks also a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? And the Greek word translated participation is koinonia. Some, it is translated differently in different contexts. It can mean fellowship. It can mean um, sharing. It can mean having things in common. Or as in here, by receiving the bread and the cup of communion, we are participating. We are physically and spiritually connected with Christ. And we are physically and spiritually connected with one another. See what it says in verse 17. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are what? One body. For we all share the same loaf. Now, today, literally, we're going to have more than one loaf. Because there's, there's so many of us. If we only had one loaf, it would have to be a really big loaf. But, but I think that the, the symbolism is still there. That, that we who are many... Uh, are, as one loaf serves many, so we who are many are one in Christ. Now, I want to put the next slide up here and, and ask you to say the words in red with me, will you? When we receive the bread and the cup, we're saying, this is my identity. This is who I am. We are in Christ. We are one in Christ. 
And that's, and that's, what Paul, that's why Paul tells them, you, you, you can't go to these community festivals that are very religious in nature and, and, and honor their Greek gods and then turn around and share communion with your sisters, brothers in Christ. You have to decide who you belong to. Have you, have you ever sat on a wooden fence? Have you, you know, maybe on a farm or a ranch or maybe even at a park, sat on a wooden fence? And that's fine for a little bit. But you sit on that fence very long. It starts to make some permanent dentation, doesn't it? Yeah, it's not very comfortable. And the longer we sit on the fence between our life in Christ and then playing around with the life outside of Christ, the more uncomfortable it gets. And so we have to choose. We have to choose. It's like centuries before Jesus, uh, Joshua stood before the Israelites and he said to them, Choose this day whom you will serve. Are you going to serve the, the God, the Lord God who brought you out of Egypt? Or are you going to serve all of the gods, the idols of the neighbors around you in Palestine? Choose this day whom you will serve. So let's go back to the screen and try it again. When we receive the bread and the cup, we're saying, this is my identity. This is who I am. We are in Christ. We are one in Christ. Now, there was another question the Corinthian believers asked Paul about, and that question had to do with eating the meat that was sold at the market later after that community idol religious festival, okay? You, you, had, you had Gentile Christians who were saying, hey, there's nothing wrong. I'm just going to the market. I'm just buying this meat. And then you had Jewish Christians who were saying, well, this is the same as going to the festival. This is idolatry. Well, this time, Paul kind of, he, he kind of sees the difference, and so he, he moves to the liberal side on this question. But he's, he's consistent in himself. He, he's saying, you know, eating this meat is not participating in the idol worship. Yes, the meat was dedicated there, but you're not, you're not participating in it. You, you said eating this, buying this meat, eating this meat doesn't make you an idol worshiper. It just makes you a savvy shopper, okay? But, but, he, but he says, get this. There's, there's something more important going on here. Let's say that you're eating uh, with your Christian friends and some of them believe that eating this meat from the community festival is idolatry. What are you going to do? What are you going to serve? He said the best thing is don't serve it. Don't eat it. Don't do anything that would shake their faith. Your love for your sister and brother in Christ is way more important than your freedom to eat what you want. You if you have to choose between the conscience of your sister and brother in Christ and what you put on the menu that day, you always got to pick the person over the plate of food. Don't create a crisis for them. Love for your friend comes first. Let's say it together. Love for your friend comes first. You know, Christians have often turned to this scripture 
uh, as they kind of wrestled with issues related to alcohol. Uh, some Christians believe that moderate consumption of alcohol, that is not to intoxication, is an acceptable Christian choice for adults, and others see any alcohol consumption as disobedience to the Lord. So if you see it as acceptable and have friends over for dinner who see it as disobedience, it might be better to not serve wine with your meal that night, do you think? And it's the same with if you have a friend who's a recovering alcoholic. If they're a guest in their in their in your house, if they're a guest in your house, you don't want to do anything that would create a problem or a temptation, a barrier for them. Love for your friend comes first. And back to the question of whether or not um, to eat meat that's been offered to idols, Paul addresses then another related issue. What do you do if you're at the home of somebody who's uh, not a Christian? And, um, and they're, they're serving the meal, and you don't know where that food came from. I mean, you don't know if it had been previously dedicated to the god of Zeus or Mars or whoever it was before you got it. Paul says, if you don't have a problem eating it, then don't bring it up. Don't make an issue of it. Verse 27 says this. And I, it's kind of farther down, but I'll put it up on the screen. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever's put before you. Isn't that great? Just enjoy the evening, folks. Now, if they tell you that this, has been, this is food that's been offered to idols, and if you, they see you eat it and assume that you're a hypocrite to your own faith... Well, then you might want to think twice. You, you might create a stumbling block for them by eating it because now they think that you're going against what you believe. So in that kind of case, just, just gladly give up your freedom so you don't create a problem for them. So they don't think that, you know, you're a hypocrite. Christians are all phonies. Now, I also want us to look at verse 27 from another perspective. And, and I have to tell you that, you know, before, you know, about a month, six weeks ago when I was kind of mapping out my messages coming up, I had never seen this before. And so it really popped for me, and I'm, I'm excited to share it with you. Um, this verse simply assumes that the Christ followers in Corinth were friends with people who didn't share their faith. You notice that? They, they are friends with people who don't share their faith. They ate with them. They were guests in each other's homes. And it fits right in with the five ways that we are learning to love our neighbors called bless. And we are learning to be a blessed friend uh, with people who, you know, m maybe their lives are far from God or they're... they're they don't have a personal connection with Jesus yet. They're not uh, currently a part of a church. Uh, and, of course, we talk about blessed from time to time. You see it on the banners every Sunday. It's on the back of your bulletin every week. Um, but I'd like for us to say those five practices of blessed together, shall we? Begin with prayer. Listen with care. Eat together. Serve in love. Share your story. Now, today we're going to take a closer look at the middle one, eating together. 
Now, especially in ancient times, when you ate with something, that was a big deal. It was, it was an expression of acceptance. It was, it was a gesture of trust. Eating with someone says, you're my people. It's not a, not a casual thing. You are, you are my people. And that's one thing that got, Jesus got in trouble for over and over. He, he was called a friend of sinners because of the people he ate with. Cheats and, tax, and traitors and beggars and people who had other kinds of bad reputations. Jesus was telling them, hey, I want you to be my people. Uh, some of you remember if you were here on Easter Sunday, I talked about my friend Stu how we often uh, would meet at the coffee shop and, and uh, drink overpriced beverages, you know. And uh, Stu did not believe in Jesus. Not in any kind of faith way, for sure. He was a skeptic, but we were friends. We had great conversations. And, and meeting at a coffee shop wasn't, strictly speaking, eating together. But the way I think it's close enough, Right? And I, th- I think, especially with eat together, there's, there's a lot of room to be creative here, okay? I think the E could stand for a lot of things. And so I made up a list for you uh, of 10 things that, could, that E could stand for would be activities together. Exercise together. Entertain together. Explore a park together. Encounter animals at the zoo together. Experience a movie together. Engage in a game together. Exchange garden produce together. Enroll in a class together. Earn extra money together. Embarrass yourselves at karaoke together. And of course, they don't have to start with E. It can be just about anything. Any shared activity. To recast verse 27, if a friend who doesn't share your love for Jesus invites you to a storm chasers game and you want to go, then go. Or you can invite them. If they they invite you to come over for a cookout and you want to go, then go, enjoy it. Or you can invite them. The truth behind bless is this. God loves Jesus to work through friendships. God loves to work through friendships. And I, I have seen it happen in my life over and over and over, and, and it still amazes me because I'm not really sure what happens because I do so little. <laughs> and God does so much. Will you say it with God loves to work through friendships. Will you say it with me? God loves to work through friendships. Now, I'd like to bring up Angie uh, Washington. Oh, she's on this side this time. Okay. <laughs> and uh, Angie uh, has been, uh, and her family have been a uh, part of our church now for three or four years. And uh, I have asked her to share with me a little bit about, uh, with us, a little bit about um, a bless. Uh, her attempt to be a blessed friend and kind of where God's been leading with that. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you for the invitation. Hello, everybody. Um, yes, when we launched this blessed campaign here at church, I was very excited because as we were hearing about the different parts of the blessed relationship, I was like, I can do that. I can do that. Yes, yeah, I can do that. And it was very affirming. And uh, we were asked to identify uh, maybe some different people in our lives who would be, um, could be um, blessed friends. And so immediately one 
friend came to mind from work who I had met, who had just started last year, and uh, we shared time together, we uh, talked together, and we um, were on breaks sometimes, we would share some coffee together Mm -hmm. as well, and um, we just started to get to know each other, and um, I enjoyed her confidence that she gave me because she said to me once, I am a very private person, I don't open up to people, however she had asked me to... um, pray for her about some uh, different situations in her life. So she knew enough about you to know that you're the kind of person she could ask to pray. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, I had um, been getting to know her, and um, I want to kind of backtrack a little bit and share a little bit about uh, 2015, when we came back to the United States, moved back from Bolivia, we were missionaries, and people had found out that we were moving back and um, was, were gathering, to, gathering together different things to help us with our transition, and one person decided to give us their van, and um, this was a huge blessing in our life right. at the time, and um, so I named the van. You named your vehicle. I, I named my vehicle. Okay, good. Not everybody does this, I know, but I am one of those that mm-hmm. does. And I gave the name uh, to my van, Benny. Benny. Benny the van. Uh, Benny is short for bendición. In Spanish, bendición means blessing. Kind of like benediction means blessing here. Exactly, yeah. okay. exactly. So shortening it up, it's Benny. And uh, we drove around in Benny for, um, for a long while, and then uh, I was able to um, earn up some money to uh, replace Benny because okay. he was getting old. He was old when he was given to us, but he had served us well, and um, I was deciding what am I going to do with Benny, and so I decided to sit down and have a chat with my mechanic, who is also a pastor, my sister's pastor, and uh, I said, you know, how much can I get for him, you know, like with a trade-in or something like that? And he said, you know, um, anybody who would take Benny off your hands would really be doing you a favor. <laughs> um, and I, I just want to encourage you, Angie, to maybe pray about possibly donating Benny to one of uh, an organization here in town that um, gives away cars. And I said, I know about organizations who give away cars. Our church does that. I will pray about it. And so I took um, my friend's advice and, he, and prayed, and immediately my blessed friend came to mind because she, since December, had been um, without a car, oh. single mom. She um, lives over the border in Iowa and comes into Omaha every day to work, and uh, her son had to stay with her mom because just with transportation it got complicated and and things were getting um, rather difficult for her um, borrowing rides borrowing vehicles and so this was march okay. when i was trying to decide what to do with benny and uh, i sat her down and i said here's the sitch this thing is old he's wonderful benny is great you've ridden in him before you know the, the story about how i got him and i want to know if you want to have benny and she said are you serious? And I say, yes, I want to give you Benny. And she said, yes, I, I'll, take, I'll take Benny. And so I was able to give her my van. Uh, and was that, I imagine that was a big thing for her. It was huge, yes. And um, we, she's just been able to um, have so much weight lifted off her shoulders to not have to worry yeah. about that situation in her life right now, that she can yeah. just drive. Because he's, he's drivable. He's a good fan. He's a good fan. Yeah. (laughs) You know, one of the things that I like about your story is is 
I can start to piece together that there's elements of all those five blessed practices that sort of just came in at different places. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Very naturally, very organically. It wasn't like, okay, friend, now we're going to do this yeah. because my pastor said so. Yeah. No, it yeah. wasn't that. It was, it, was, it was natural. It was all yeah. of those elements together. You're right. All right. Yeah. Thanks. Thank for you. With us. Uh, anyway, right after this service today, we're going to have lunch in uh, Fellowship Hall, which is right out in the foyer to the right, all the tables there. And this is just for learning mo a little bit more about being a blessed friend. Uh, there's no cost. You just kind of go and, and we'll eat for the first half hour. And then at 1230, we'll spend another half hour kind of learning and sharing a little bit about being a blessed friend. And so even if you weren't planning to come today, if you say, yeah, I think I'm kind of interested, just show up. We'll be glad to have you. Uh, and, you know, some of the time at tables we'll have a little sharing, but you've got to share if you want to, kind of at the level you want to if you do. Um, and we'll have child care uh, that, that sh during that lesson time, that half hour, if you, if you want it. Uh, and one of the things that we're going to do today uh, at uh, our blessed lunch is Angie has actually another story she's going to share. And so, if, you know, if you felt like, wow, I'd like to hear another how God is at work in, in these blessed friendships uh, from Angie, then, then you can come and, and hear that too.